we're going to continue in um, the famous Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' uh, Sermon on the Mount today, um, Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Thanks, Cindy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for the time we get together in community. Thank you for the time uh, we get together in your word. Lord, would you speak to us today as we, as we consider this topic of worry? Uh, would you speak to us and um, uh, give us each what you'd have for us uh, here today? We ask in, in, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. What a, what a relevant text this one is, isn't it? Worry? Any of you prone to worry? Any of you worrying about anything in life? Um, statistically speaking, I think that's just about everyone. Um, you know, we tend to worry a lot if we're real about it. What if I lose my job? What if the business doesn't take off? What if I don't get this promotion? What if what I'm doing in life is not what I'm supposed to be doing? Uh, what if I can't afford rent next time my lease comes up? Uh, or maybe, maybe more socially, what, what if, you know, this group of friends uh, doesn't like me, or at least doesn't like me as much as they used to, or that person? What if I'm not being a good parent? What if my kids aren't getting the love and attention they need? One of the things I love about Jesus and his teaching is how real he is. He doesn't try to sugarcoat anything. He doesn't try to water anything down. But he's just straight up about it. Life's going to be hard. In fact, as we've been going through this most famous of all sermons in the Bible, uh, he, in a very real way, if you are a follower of his, he says life's going to be even harder in some respects. Remember the first message Jesus said, blessed are those you know, when, when people persecute you and say, all the kinds of things against you. In some ways, things are going to get hard if you become a follower of mine, Jesus says. Um, but what he's saying here in this text is so awesome because what he's saying is, yes, life is going to get hard. It's going to get crazy. There's going to be hardship. There's going to be things that you're going to face or things that you think you're going to face and all those sorts of things. It's going to be hard, and yet there is no reason to worry. Now, I just love that thought. There's no reason. We, we, we ought to not worry at all which is such a game-changing thought to think about, right? Even if we were like to move the notch, just like one click in terms of worrying a little bit less, that would be an absolute game-changer in terms of what we understand about worrying before we even get into it at all. It would be huge. But the question then becomes, well, if that's even possible, Jesus, how? How are we not to worry? Uh, that's what Jesus shows us in this text, incredibly relevant text, going 
2,000 years ago. He really knew our heart then, and, and it's really helpful for us today. So how can we not worry? Uh, I just want to go through this kind of at the high level and, and then draw some conclusions. So I, the first thought to me that, that really sticks out when it comes to worrying uh, is Jesus takes it far more seriously than I think you and I tend to. Uh, it's kind of a big deal to Jesus. Uh, just to get us all on the same page, just give, us, give ourselves a, a definition, uh, one, one that I pulled off, off the web is, is worry is to give way to anxiety or unease, allow one's mind to dwell on difficulty or troubles. Jesus took that as a big deal. In fact, three times he commands that we don't worry in this text. Three times, verses 25, verse 31, and verse 34. Do not worry. Three times. It's a command, which let me break that down theologically for, for those who are followers in Christ. To worry, therefore, then, is a sin. To worry is to go against God's will, go against God's best for you and through you, the best for others. It's up there with things like greed. It's up there with things like pride. Here's why I think that's so helpful. When, when you and I, or I'll speak for myself, okay, maybe you can re- re- relate or maybe not, um, when I tend to think about worry, I just tend to think of it as just an emotion that just kind of happens. Oh, it's just something I do. You know, oh, I'm feeling this way and no big deal. This thing that we just do, worrying, Jesus takes very seriously, and he's saying we've got to take it seriously. Why? Two reasons. First, we see in verses 27 and 34, which are separated, but the same, same thought. Jesus said in verse 27, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? It's actually a really hard uh, verse to translate uh, for translators because it can also very much as easily mean, uh, it, it could be talking about a cubit of height added to, uh, to our height. It could be read, can any one of you, by worrying, add you know, a foot and a half essentially to your height? So me become Kevin Durant or something like that. Can any of you do that? Um, of course, he's, he's asking it rhetorically. Verse 34, similar thought, separated by a few sentences. Don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What's he saying here? You can't add a, a you know, foot and a half to your height. You can't add an hour to your life. You know, worry, don't worry about tomorrow for today has much trouble. What's he saying? He's saying worry is incompatible with common sense. Worrying doesn't make sense. It, 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 it doesn't make sense. All worry is about tomorrow. It's about tomorrow, all the anxiety that we have, the food, the clothing, uh, whether we get anything else or whatever. All worry is about tomorrow, and yet all worry uh, is experienced today. It's kind of an interesting way to think about it. This is what Jesus is saying. Worry is about tomorrow, but it's experienced today. Whenever we are anxious, whenever we are upset in the present about an event which may happen in the future, however, uh, these fears of ours are about tomorrow, which we will feel so acutely today may not even be fulfilled. Uh, There was a guy named Michael Montaigne who said 500 years ago, my life has been filled with terrible misfortunes, most of which never happened. Actually, there's been a number of studies that you can can look into that have have come up to kind of essentially prove this, Uh, one of which was uh, a large group of folks were asked over an extended period of time to journal all of their, their worries and their anxieties, just kind of keep a track record. And after a set period of time, they came back and they looked over all of their, you know, the, the anxious thoughts that they had, these misfortunes that they thought would, would happen. Any of you want to guess the percentage of which the things that they worried about actually came to be? Like what the percentage point of that was? 85%. 85% of what all the folks in this study, this 
you know, nice sample size, thought was going to happen, never happened. And of the 15% that did happen, 79% of the subjects said that, you know what, we were actually able to handle that difficulty a lot better than we were anticipating. Or they saw that, that challenge or, or trouble, whatever that, that came about, to be something that in the end was actually more helpful for them than it had happened. Which I don't know the math there, but at the end of the day, that means there's a couple of percentage points of things that actually matter. And actually, the things that actually kind of, kind of play out. It means the vast, vast majority of what you and I worry over is not much more than a fearful mind punishing us with exaggeration and misperceptions. I came across another study, a guy named Carl Pillemer. This guy spent years systematically interviewing about 1,500 uh, elderly Americans, and he was uh, collecting their life lessons, kind of lessons that they would pass down to uh, uh, next generations. Uh, any you want to guess what the top of all this collective advice in terms of the most you know, significant advice that they all had to share? I'll read it word for word. Don't worry so much. It's how it's compilated. You know, don't worry. Isn't that interesting? Do not worry. I mean, they, they just truncated what Jesus said to, like, you know, the apostrophe. Don't worry. No. Don't worry so much it, because it doesn't, make com- it, it doesn't make sense. It goes against common sense. We understand this. If anything, worry can affect our health. If any of you guys have been, maybe some of you are there now, it, it can affect your health. You can get ulcers. You can get heart palpitations, you get all that sort of deal. If anything, when Jesus says, who can add a single hour to your life, it seems like it's going the other direction. If anything, that's what Jesus was saying 2,000 years ago. Worry is incompatible with common sense. It quite literally, it literally is not an effective use of our time, our brain space, or our heart space. But what's more, the second thought here he says in terms of um, the, the issue of worry is it's incompatible with the gospel. It's incompatible with, with the faith that, that Jesus offers. Look at verse 30. He's making the point, don't worry about what you'll wear, because if God clothes the grass of the field, he says, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Uh, you of little faith. There's the thought right there. Uh, Jesus is saying, to Jesus, there's a correlation between worry and lack of faith. Do you see that? There's a correlation between worry and lack of faith. In other words, if you're a follower of Jesus and you understand the gospel, the good news that Jesus came to live the life that you and I could not live and died the death that you and I deserve, that if we receive him, we have life, we have everything in his name, there's nothing to worry about. It doesn't make sense to worry about anything. You know, there's a couple of times in this text where Jesus literally, he uses the word again to describe Jesus, Heavenly Father. If, if our Heavenly Father knows of us, knows our needs, cares for us, loves us, and he's given us his son, how, how much more will he not just give us all things? I, Jesus says it doesn't make sense spiritually in terms of the faith if we worry. Uh, we're, but here's another thought. While, while, we're, while we're thinking about this, worrying doesn't just not make sense. It's actually, as I think about it, as I worry, it's kind of an affront onto God's goodness and kindness to me. It's saying, I don't, tr- I don't know, I don't know. Um, here's what I realize worrying is. If I'm consumed with my problems, the stress and worries of my life, my family, my job, uh, when I'm consumed by those, I'm actually conveying the belief that I think my circumstances are more important than God's command not to worry. In other words, that I have the right to disobey God because of the magnitude of my responsibilities. 
Listen to how uh, one pastor, a guy named Francis Chan, put this. I thought uh, this is helpful. Worry implies that we don't quite trust that God is big enough, powerful enough, or loving enough to take care of what's happening in our lives. Basically, my worrying behavior communicates that it's okay to sin and not trust God because the stuff in my life is somehow exceptional. But that's pride. Worry declares our tendency to forget that we've been forgiven and that our lives here are brief, that we are headed to a place where we won't be lonely, afraid, or hurt ever again, and that in the, in the context of God's strength, our problems are small indeed. Worry is incompatible with common sense, Jesus says. Worry is incompatible with the gospel message. Have you thought of worry this way before? Um, from either the angle of it just doesn't make sense uh, in, terms of, in terms of common sense, or if you're a follower of Jesus, that it doesn't make sense in terms of the faith, that worrying is actually something that is deeply unhealthy for you and me, and not to mention others through us. It can be. Um, one famous 18th century pastor uh, said it this way, our anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, but only empties today of its strengths. So how... How are we not to worry? If it's, if it's that strong, if it can have that kind of effect on our hearts, which I, I imagine we all feel and know and, and understand, how then are we to not worry? Well, Jesus said, don't. Okay, band, come back up and we're, we're good. Um, he says, don't worry three times, but he doesn't just say don't worry, right? It's, it's surrounded with all this rationale. It's surrounded with all these helpful thoughts. He's talking about the birds in the, of the air, the lilies or the grass in the fields, um, if you look at these verses, I want to kind of point out uh, kind of the thought that, that seems to be coming to the surface. If you look at verse 26, he says, he says, look at the birds of the air. That word look at has a connotation of, of, of observe closely. Take notice, watch. And then in verse 28, with the flowers of the field, he says, see how they grow. And that word there is it, it, it can be translated, and often maybe some of your Bibles even has it, has it translated this way, consider the lilies of the field. Consider them. Take them in. Ponder. Watch. Observe. Take thought of such things, Jesus is saying. When I was a really little guy, about eight or nine, before we moved up to the Bay Area, we lived in San Diego, and my, my dad was into all sorts of things, and he would just, you know, being a pastor himself, not having just a, you know, just a ton of cash on hand, he'd always just find things along the road and just like pick them up, and, you know, other people's trash became our treasure. One of those things is he found a canoe, of all things. So we got into canoeing. I don't, have you guys canoe? It's just such a random thing, probably kayaking, but we went canoeing, which was actually really awesome. Canoes are, I mean, I never stopped to think about it. The, the way they're built is to allow you to, like, float on, like, literally inches of water. Um, and you can have, there's three of us, my brother and my dad would go out on all these little estuaries, these little tiny little streams, rivers that go throughout San Diego. If you've ever been to San Diego, gone down the, the five, you'll just be driving through Mesa after Mesa and you'll see these estuaries. Uh, and they're awesome because they preserve nature. Um, you know, San Diego's become this sprawling place, but there's all this, so we'd go, we'd, we'd, people probably on the freeways as we were passing by were like, who are those weirdos out there? We were just out there paddling. Um, but became, it became a real cool opportunity to bird watch of all things. We started bird watching. My dad bought this um, this uh, thick red book that on each page had had, a, had about three pictures of uh, different species of birds. So we'd go out there and we'd like with binoculars like watch these birds. You know everything. You know it's just nature. And as a kid, I, you know eight year old, nine year old, whatever, I, I didn't want to be out there. Okay, full confession. I wanted to be back playing games or doing whatever I wanted to do. But I'm so thankful in hindsight, and even in the in the in the midst of it, there were moments I was just like, man, this is amazing because we got to watch these birds. 
that I just, I don't think I ever would have experienced otherwise. Like they just, how they feed their young, how they're building their nests, how they're just, everything they're doing is not like pointless, but they're, they're, they're doing something, they're working, they're, they're laboring. They're doing all these amazing things and they have like the brain the size of a peanut. I mean, it's really amazing. It was such a fascinating and good experience to kind of stop, observe, think about, ponder. Jesus is saying we need to stop, think about, ponder, observe when we start to worry. And any of you guys use your alarm app on your phone? Uh, and with my phone, it comes built into the system. I don't know if that's the case across the board. Uh, you techies can tell me. Um, but I, I'll tell you, I use this app more than just about any other. If you were to look at my phone, you would just see like alarm after alarm after alarm, not just at 9 o'clock, but 9.15, 9.17. They're just my little reminders. Like I got to be at that meeting at that time. I got to prepare this for that. It's a great little app. You know, I wonder if a thought that we can take away here is when Jesus says, consider, thought, be thoughtful, consider, whenever we start to worry, to just pause and reflect. Why, why am I worrying? Is this worth worrying about? Let it be like, you know, the same way I get a little chirp or a little buzz on, on, on the app, like just to, wait, 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 I'm starting to worry here. Is this worth worrying? The answer is no. Is it worth worrying? Why am I worrying about it? What does God say into this? I think we're just to stop and just ponder, consider God's goodness to us. For some of us, it might be really helpful uh, to write things down. I mean, you do something about it. Maybe it's writing something down, having a little journal, taking track. Boy, I tell you, if you do that, you keep a little prayer log or if your anxieties or whatever, one of the awesome things from that is you'll actually find that, oh my goodness, God really does answer all these prayers. It's an amazing, but maybe that'll be a helpful thing to do, just working out your thoughts. I don't know. Maybe it's calling and talking to somebody. Maybe it's stopping and praying. Maybe it's you, you have a piece of, you have, you have a verse or a, or a scripture text that you kind of can just use to kind of replace your worry with. When I wake up in the middle of my, my one of my go-to is a Psalm 23. It's a very famous one. Even if you grow up in the church, you probably heard it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. The line that everybody will know is, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Um, for me personally, that's been one that helped me shift my worry to things that are, that are helpful and good. How do we begin then to, to experience the freedom from the hold worry can have over us? It involves stopping, pausing, uh, preaching to our hearts, considering, being thoughtful. It's shifting our mindset. But number two... It's also shifting our ambition. Uh, verse 31 through 33, Jesus says this, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father know that, knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Uh, it's interesting to me that Jesus took for granted that all people are seekers. You notice that? And that's the word. Everybody seeks or everybody runs after something. In other words, it's not natural for folks, for people, to drift aimlessly through life. Uh, we all need something to live for, something to give us meaning in our lives, something to seek, something to place to set our hearts or minds upon. Uh, Jesus has been talking a lot about this in the Sermon on the Mount, has he not? Uh, he's been talking about, like last week, we were, we were doing the, uh, the prayer. He taught us to pray. He said, your prayer should be like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done 
Remember we talked about hallowed, that weird word that the translators decided to keep. It's a good word. We don't really have a word other than that that's really helpful. To hallow something is to treat it as sacred and ultimate. It's to make something the most important, the most beautiful thing. It means to seek that thing. It means to adore that thing. It means to be devoted to that thing. Uh, Two weeks ago, when we looked at uh, money and possessions, Jesus said you cannot serve both God and money. He's saying we're all devoted things. We all set our, our ambition on certain things. And so when we look at it in the light of today's text, when he's talking about worrying, he's saying essentially we worry most about the things we're devoted most to. And I think, I think we all understand this thought, but to just kind of illustrate it, um, you know, you're, you're probably not worrying about your friend's job in this sense. Like let's say your friend, you know, heaven forbid, had, you know, something happened to their job, um, they called you up and they told you about it. Yes, you're going to feel, well, hopefully, you're going to feel sad for them. You're going to feel empathetic. Church, right? You're going to do that. Um, you're going to pray with them. You're going to care. But you're not going to worry because you're not devoted to that job. Or your 401, you know, your friend's 401k or whatever. You know, you hear what I'm saying? We're, we worry about the things we're devoted to, which I think raises a really helpful question to, to, to wrestle with is what consumes our thoughts? What consumes you? When you wake up in the middle of the night, what are you thinking about? What, what, where does your mind go? The things we're most devoted to are the things that we worry most about. And it's not just, it, it, it's not just work or money related. It could, be, it could be a relationship or relationships. It could be people, what people think of you. It could be any, any number of things. What Jesus invites us into here is not to say that those things aren't important. He knows they're important. He's encouraging us to seek God's kingdom first and his righteousness, to keep our eyes on Jesus in eternity, and that out of this, all things will be given unto us. All, all these things will be given unto us. Okay? Now, real quickly, to seek God's kingdom first and his righteousness, that's another thing Jesus has been talking about all along. He's talking about help, making our lives be about bringing God's love into the world, namely through Jesus. But what's he promising when he says that all these things will be given to us as we do this, as we seek that first in life? What's he promising? I think it's helpful to consider real briefly here what he's not promising. He's not promising that he's going to hook us up with material wealth or he's going to hook us up with a comfortable life, that he's going to... You hear what I'm saying? Last week we talked about in the prayer, Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. That prayer is for our needs, not for our greeds. God... You know, and the reason why I think this is important is if you turn on your television, if you weren't here right now, you'd see a televangelist say, if you follow God, he's going to take care of you. Life's going to get easy. You're going to have a lot of money. It's going to pad your... That's not really in the Bible. If that were in the Bible, you would think the person most blessed of all, the person most following God's righteousness and kingdom first, Jesus, would have had a lot of money and would have had a comfortable life. But the, almost seems like the opposite is true. He was considered poor. He didn't have a home. He went to the cross. That's not what the promise is when it says, when it says, seek God's kingdom first and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to him. What he's talking about is that God will take care of us. He'll take care of all of our needs because he knows them better than we do. When he talks about don't worry about the food you'll eat, which is hard for me personally. I'm worrying about the Yelp review before I go in. First world problem here. Don't worry about the food you'll eat. Don't worry about the clothes you'll wear. I don't really worry about the clothes I wear. My wife helps me on that one. But you hear what I'm saying? It's like, 
Sorry, I'm having too much fun with this. The food we eat, what we'll drink, you know, he's saying, don't worry about these things because God knows those needs far better than we, than, than we know them ourselves. And if we think we need some, do it. Are we sure? God knows. He's our Father. You know, I think I've read this before, but ask and it will be given to you. This is what we'll be looking at soon, later in the sermon. For whoever on asks will receive. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give them a stone? Or a fish, you'll give them a snake. If then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the father, your Father in heaven give you good gifts to those who ask? Um, God sometimes says no and not yet for our good, but can we trust Him? Jesus is saying we can as we seek Him. Why? Because He's saying, throw in with me, seek God's kingdom first, His righteousness, helping people know about God's love for them, namely in, in Jesus, and you don't have anything to worry about. Anything that you would think you'd need to worry about, you don't need to worry about. God's going to take care of it. And the way things plan is actually going to be, Jesus says, for our good. Live for me, Jesus says, and there's nothing to worry about. Uh, you know, this is a central verse to us here at Current, for what it's worth. Very central. It's part of our mission statement. Our mission statement, so Current uh, exists to help people in the Silicon Valley move towards Jesus, by helping, by, by helping people into the faith through gospel-centered community and activating believers to live for God's kingdom first. Uh, that's a big part. Why? Because we feel compelled, based on what, Jesus, what God has done for us, to steward who He is, what He's given us, where He's placed us. Uh, that's very central to who we are. Uh, and here's what I love about this, this verse, is it now then can become, if we accept it, a lens from which we see all things in life through. How do we seek God's kingdom first in this scenario? How do we seek Him first? And why can we do this? Because if Jesus went to the cross and sought us out first, why can't we seek Him, him and His kingdom is the thought. Now, on paper, to be real about it, it doesn't make sense. Uh, that's a scary thought, to seek God's kingdom first. Um, God, you're going you're gonna to help me? That's the promise uh, but what Jesus is saying is if we, if we understand who he is and what he's done for us, boy, number one, we don't have anything to worry about. But number two, we're going to be, on, we're gonna be uh, ready for the, the, the ride of our lives. Now, I've I got to just say, you know, as I think about an example of, you know, seeking God's kingdom first and just God showing up in ways that somebody wasn't anticipating this or that, I can't tell you how many examples come quickly to mind. Just, just come to mind. Example after example of people saying, you know what? I'm going to trust God. And it's just gonna, it's, he, he'll take care of me. And then he takes care. Um, so allow me to share one that's actually an example that's, that's very intimate to me. Um, I'm a pastor today. Uh, current in some ways exists, I guess you can say, because my parents on a shoestring decided to start a church in Berkeley because they felt like God was calling them to do that. I have five brothers and sisters. There was five of us at the time that they moved from San Diego to Berkeley. Not a lot of cash on hand, trying to be a pastor, which that doesn't make sense, in Berkeley where people aren't really receptive to Christianity, at least it seems. Um, How is schooling going to work? Where are we going to live? All those sorts of things. And, I, you know, I'm sure my parents did more than, I, than they let on, but I never got the impression that they were worried about that. They were always talking, yeah, yeah, isn't that interesting? God's going to take care of us, though. It's going to be fun to see how he takes care of us. And I'm, I was a little 10-year-old, like, yeah, of course. Yeah. And my pastor, I'm like, what in the, that was amazing. Um, 
And, I, and you know, they, they were always just like, God's going to take care of us. And he did. First of all, that church is still there, thriving, has had huge impact, huge impact there and now and, 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 and far away, just spreading out like a seed, just, just growing. Um, I got to see God take care of my family in ways that just, to me, seemed not coincidental, in the, but just like 100% just miracle. So, for, for instance, all my siblings uh, follow Jesus right now. We're all, we're all Christian, which, to give you perspective, in case you're like, oh, how, does that, how does that make sense? I have a lot of people regularly say, you're a pastor, and your dad's a pastor. Like, how'd that work? Because a lot of people understand that that's often not the case. And I have, and this is just, just, just a, you know, God's goodness in our life. I have one, uh, my oldest sister, she's in full-time ministry. My brother actually literally this week just got back from Kenya where he's been, he's been preparing to be a surgeon so that he can spend his life essentially overseas helping third-world countries with, with, with surgery and that sort of thing. And I'm just, and the reason I mention all this is I can't help but think that those sorts of things are because God was honored by my parents saying, you know what, he's going to take care of us. I got to see, you know, our, how we ended up in the house where we were right next to Berkeley. This guy was just like, yeah, I'll, I'll cut $150,000 off that house price. Like, what? Um, you, know, you know what I'm saying? I'm just, I mean, it's just, okay, that sounds like a nice example. Um, you know, that's, you know, they're in full-time ministry, that sort of thing. Are you saying, David, this is all about full-time? No, it's not all about full-time ministry. It's the lens in which we see life. We approach even the daily choices through the lens of, how is this, your kingdom come, your will be done. How can I be a part of this? What is it you're doing? What opportunities are you giving me? How are you shifting things and, and playing things out that I can be a part of it? And friends, sometimes it's not going to be clear cut. It's not going to be super obvious. Maybe there's a path in the road. And so you pray about it. You say, well, I, God, my desire here or our desire here or whatever is to follow you, seek your kingdom first. We feel like this option, this option could be, could be good. You know, we, we, we know you're going to take care of us, so just we're going to take this one and trust. That, that's, I mean, you hear the process. It's, it becomes the lens in which we see everything through. God, your kingdom first. And we can trust him, God is saying. And yet still we may ask, but what if he doesn't provide? What, is, what if he doesn't take care of any, uh, our needs? What of the hardships for his followers? Is Jesus being unfeeling and unrealistic here? Uh, this was the assurance that fortified a guy named Dr. Helmut uh, Thielik, if I'm saying his name correctly. And his congregation during the terrible years that followed the Second World War, 1946 through 1948, uh, he often alluded uh, to his congregation uh, to the scream of the air raid sirens, the alerting of people to yet more devastation and death by air bombs. Um, what could freedom from anxiety mean in such circumstances as that? But listen, listen to what he said. I don't think this is going to be on your, on, your, on your screen. I'm sorry. I'll read it. He said, we know the sight and the sound of homes collapsing in flames. Our own eyes have seen the red blaze and our own ears have heard the sound of crashing, falling, and shrieking. Against that background, the command to look at the birds and the lilies of the field... Uh, might well have sounded hollow, wouldn't you think? Nevertheless, he went on, I think we must stop and listen to this man whose life on earth was anything but bird-like and lily-like points us to the carefreeness of the birds and the lilies. Were not the somber shadows of the cross 
already looming over this hour of the Sermon on the Mount? In other words, it's reasonable to trust in our Heavenly Father's love, even in times of grievous trouble, because we have been privileged to see it revealed in Christ and His cross. Jesus said to His disciples a few hours before He would be arrested and ultimately crucified, talk about a moment in which anxiety and worry would have been ripe to feel. What did He say? Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust God and trust also in me. Not only was he himself not worrying about something that probably was worth worrying about, going to the cross, okay. Not only was he himself not worrying in that moment, he was helping others not worry in that moment. If in God there is nothing to worry about because of what Jesus accomplished for us, he can be relied upon through anything life throws at us in life and in death. So you can trust him. You can follow him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your work on the cross for us, that Jesus came to die for us and offer life in his name. Lord, if there's anybody here today who's hearing that either for the first time or hasn't received that, I pray that you would uh, draw them into your family even now. And if, that, if this is you, you're, you're hearing the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that he lived the life that you can't live and, and died the death that you deserve, dying for the forgiveness of sins, and such that he, he, he give you his life, a restored relationship with the Father, and you'd like to receive that today, you can in your heart let him know. Father, as, as a, a church that wants to follow you, uh, forgive us that we do worry far more than we ought but thank you that you forgive us when we do. Lord, would you help us as individuals, as families, as a church body community, seek your kingdom first and your righteousness in the Silicon Valley. We long to see your kingdom come. Your will be done. Would you give us a a part in that? For your sake, we pray these things in Jesus' name.